And the reason why this man is so powerful, it's not because he can squat like 700 pounds or whatever it is and bench press, you know, like a car or anything like that. It's not because of his South African accent and growing up safari hunting. And it's not because of the way he wears his Wranglers and his boots, although all that is really amazing. But this man is an evangelist. And so different than just sharing the gospel maybe one time or two times, he actually trains people on how to share your faith. The evangelist prepares the church to share their faith. This is my good friend that I met about 10 years ago. He's incredible. He has a, a wife, four kids, five kids, so many kids, I can't even name them all, five children. And, uh, and, and they're just incredible. Would you stand on your feet and welcome Pastor Ernie Kruger as he comes up to share God's word with us this morning. Am I li- there we go. Let's go, Luminous Church. Well, we have five kids because I wanted to have a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, a prophet, and an apostle. It's called the Apostolic Five. So if you really want to be biblical in building families, you need at least five. You can double that, have ten, two of each. Um, Jesus sent them out in pairs of two, you know, so um, the more kids, the more biblical you live your life. Come on, let's go in Jesus' name. All right, guys, I love Pastor Ben and Brandy. I really do. It's, I have many friends and acquaintances like most of you guys do in your life, but I have a few like people that I would consider a, a close best friend category, and Pastor Ben is in that. I love him and Brandy. I love the kids. I love who they are. I just, I love him away from church. I don't like him just at church as a pastor. I like who he is. I just like who he is in private. I like the integrity he lives with. I love the way he loves people. Um, He is one of my closest confidants. I confess my sin to him. Don't have many. I don't have as many as he has, but uh, you know, when I, when I have them, I confess them a little bit, um, you know, and, uh, and that, that's, 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 that's true. I, I really do. I tell him my pains, my sorrows. He prays for me. He pastors me from a distance at times as a, as a brother. Um, so we love him. Ben, I love you so much. We love Luminous Church. I feel like I'm family. I don't even feel like a, a stranger anymore. We, we, we talk about you guys all the time. We pray for you guys all the time. So you don't see me all the time, but we see in your eyes sometimes watch y'all's live streams to just see how it's going. Pastor Ben tells me a lot of times what's happening in the church. I'm very clued in on what's going on. We love Luminous Church. Um, You guys are a people that God's constructing for His glory. When Pastor Ben told me about the Be All In uh, theme um, series that you guys are in, I couldn't think of a more... Um, appropriate theme for, or a more theologically accurate theme to preach on. Um, this series will transform your life. And the reason for this, this modern vernacular to, that's, that's so deeply theological, actually, is because we have a God that's all in. We don't, we don't serve a God that's half anything. Uh, we have a God that's completely committed to His people, that's completely um, given, that's completely gave Himself for His church, and His people are a people that's completely, completely given over to His will and His ways. And so, essentially, to be a Christian means to be all in. That's the, the essence of Christianity. How many of you guys are in a marriage? All right. Uh, would you have gotten married if the other person wasn't all in? You guys would not have gotten married if you weren't all in, if your spouse wasn't all in, right? How many of you guys are an employee at a company? 
in the interview process, uh, they wanted to make sure that you were all in, right? Um, and so if you weren't all in, they wouldn't have hired you, right? Because they want people that's really given them, that gives their talents, their time, their energy to this organization to move it forward. Um, how many kids are in the house or in the building? How many of y'all are all in in the dishes? Don't say, oh, don't say amen or oh my. Um, the fact is, is that we actually all want to be all in and we want other people to be all in with us. And as we dive into this message today, I think God's going to help us understand His nature in a really good way in the fact that He is all in with us, but it has an implication. So I'm going to read out of the book, um, the, the, the book of the Bible, the Bible. Um, it's uh, out of the ESV version, out of the book of Titus, um, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, if you guys want to go there with me, Titus chapter 2, all right, so I have to lift my Bible up. I can see better. All right, chapter 2, verse 11. Y'all ready? Let's read together. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you or disregard you. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a guide to our path. Apart from your word, we don't know who you are. We can't know your will, and we can't follow you in your ways, Father. And I pray as we break open the word this morning, Lord, as we lay it out in front of us as a church, as a people that love you, that your word would become clear to us, and that we would be willing to be shaped and formed around your word, Father, to look like the people you're calling us to look like, to be the people, to become the people you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, and everyone that agrees says, Amen. So the book of Titus is not a book that I'm particularly interested in. Um, it's not like my favorite book in the Bible. You know, we all have those go-to books in the Bible. Um, and so there's about 54 other books I'm more interested in than the book of Titus. Um, you know, I, I've, I, I don't think I ever read the book of Titus, very, uh, except for like accidentally or for study. And someone directed me there, but not just in my own volition. And one day, about three years ago, I was actually in San Antonio or San Marcus, I get those two confused sometimes, for an ENC cluster, an Every Nation Campus cluster, and Will Galloway was with me, my, we had, uh, my son's with me in the hotel room, and as we were getting ready for this cluster, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night at four in the morning. Now, how many of you guys love when the Lord wakes you up at four in the morning? Those are the favorite moments with God, right? I wake up with this real burden and this strong impression in my heart, I've got to go read the book of Titus. And so I'm like, that has to be the Lord, because that's not the book I go to when I wake up at four in the morning, you know? So I go, I read this book, and all of a sudden, in chapter 2, verse 11, 
it's like these words jumped off the pages into my soul. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Ernie, this is for the next generation. This is for the campus. This is at that time, the campus ministry I was over and leading. And I feel like this is a prophetic declaration, not just over the campus ministry in every nation, but luminous as a church. I, my primary goal is to focus on college students and college campus. But this morning, this is not a word for the campus. This is a word to the church. And the, the, the young people that is on the campus that love Jesus is a part of the church, right? So here's, what, here's, here's the, the gist of this message today. It's the same God that saves is also the God that sends. The same God that saves is also the same God that sends. So in Christ, in God, we see that God does this work of saving and he does this work of sending. He does both. Those are two things God does. God does not only save, and God does not only send. He always do both. Those two things are imperatives. The same God that came to save us is the same God that wants to send us. Now let's unpack that. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it said, The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. You know what I'm really thankful for? Is that God actually became a man in Jesus Christ. If God did not become a man in Jesus Christ, you and I would have no purpose in this moment. If God did not step into time, into space, to enter his own creation, to reveal himself for the grace of God to take on the form of flesh. If he did not do that, you and I would not be in this room today. We would not have a relationship with God today. The grace of God, the work of God appeared in flesh. The grace of God appeared. And why did God become a man in Jesus Christ? To bring salvation. What does salvation mean? Salvation means to be saved from sin, out of sin, into something new. So none of us can actually get ourselves to God. That's why God came to us. The grace of God appeared, not just some grace, not any grace. The grace of God appeared in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then what did he do? He came to bring something to us that we could never get to on our own. This is what distinguishes Christianity from any religion in the, in the world. Religion tells you, you must do this and this and this. And if you do this and this and this, then only could you potentially... Here we go. That's like, a, it's like an invisible line right there that I cannot cross. If you, if you do this and this, if you, you will achieve, you will attain something to the category of salvation. If you work hard, if you obey, if you go to church two times a week, if you read your Bible seven times a week, if you pray four times facing this way, seven times facing that way, if you do this, if you give that, if you then maybe you can get yourself back to God. That's what religion does. It tells people to be better. It tells people to work harder. It tells people that only the elect, select few can actually attain this thing and be set apart from the rest of creation. 
But it's interesting that God, through his word, through the apostle Paul, says to Titus, who's leading a church in Crete, a Greek church, primarily Greek people that converted. He says, no, the grace of God appeared to bring something to people because people could never get that thing. And that thing is salvation. And then he doesn't just say that God brings salvation to people. He says he brings it to all people. He brings it to all people. Now, if you actually, if you travel a lot, you'll understand different religions. And the United States has become so diverse. If you just you know, investigate, you'll learn more about other religions. But if you go to a, let's say, a, a primarily Hindu nation, there are specific castes in those nations. So if you're not born in a specific family and lineage, you are just not at the same level as anyone else. And you can never jump a cast in your lifetime. In other words, if you, and this, this is the concept of karma, if I'm born in this cast, if I'm in the top cast of society, I'm in the elite, I'm in the 1%. And if I am there and then all of a sudden I try to, from my position, interfere with someone that is at the bottom level, I may mess up my karma. And if I go help a homeless person or a sick person or a leper or someone that's not right, that, that, that probably didn't live a good life in the previous life, I will mess up my life and I will be reincarnated in a bad version. So you know who does most of the humanitarian work in, in Hindu nations? For, in, for example, it's Christian organizations. Why? Because in some of these other beliefs, you can't interfere because there's different castes. Some are chosen, others are just not. Here's what Paul said. He said, God appeared, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God is concerned about everybody in this city. God wants the rich that lives in a country club. God wants the poor that lives under a bridge. The grace of God appeared for all people. He didn't come for some. He didn't come for some extreme demographic. He came to save all people. God did not come to save those that already lives a better life than other people. God's actually also concerned about the person that's in a maximum security cell right now. God loves that person as much as he loves you. God's concerned about the CEO that runs a Fortune 5 in a company that has tons of resources at his disposal. God's also concerned about the person with severe dyslexia that's flipped, that, 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 that can't get a good job. God's concerned about the student that's struggling to get a degree at a university. And God is also concerned about the student at an Ivy League school that is going to be a top-notch lawyer in the United States. God is concerned about all people. God actually loves black people as much as white people. God loves Hispanic people a little bit more than both of those other demographics. Somebody say amen. Because their food is real good. Everybody eating, everyone is eating Mexican food. No one's ever said, nah, that's bad. Everyone's like, man, that's good. God came to bring salvation to all people. God wants to save your city. The grace of God has appeared, not for some, but for all. Here's the thing. The moment you realize that God had to come to me and save me, 
That's the moment you put your eyes on Christ and you look to the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ and you actually surrender your life. And, we, and you become what we call born again. You had a natural birth. Now you've had a spiritual birth. And this is a glorious thing because God saves. God saves us. When I was raised, I was raised to go to church. I really didn't want to go to church. People at church, in my opinion, at that time was weird. They were irrelevant. They were disconnected. And some of them, that's, they actually were true because they had bad theology. They thought they had to hide from the world. But when I met God, I understood that his people are actually a people that's relevant, a people that's engaged, but it's a people that's set apart. The church is not weird. The church is not hiding somewhere. The church needs to be in the marketplace standing for truth in all the other spheres of life and living in sectors of life. Paul, when he wrote this to, to, to Titus, Titus was in a community or in a setting where Greeks in Crete actually believed that Zeus was born there in Crete. So what they would say sometimes is, you're a Cretan, a Cretan or you're a Crete. It would be an insult. It would mean that you're a person of dishonesty, a person that lacks integrity. And they felt justified because I can lie if it's convenient because Zeus, guess what he does? When he needs to lie for greater purposes, he lies. When he takes advantages of people, he actually, they thought in his mind that he would take advantage of women specifically. So to be a Christian was not good. And they, when, they, when they became Christian, when they heard about the grace of God, and many of them converted, they did not know what it looks like to live as a Christian. So Paul writes them this letter because he's hearing the reports of this church in Crete. So he writes to Titus. And here's why Titus is even in the city. Paul said, this is why I left you in verse 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might might put what remained into order. So Paul is saying, Titus, the people in your church, the people in that city, it's a bunch of small home churches. He said, they do not know how to walk with God. They have received salvation, but salvation did not come just to save. Salvation came to also send them and set them apart and change them. And so here's what he said. He says, God brought salvation to, uh, to all people. And then it says in verse 12, to train us. So if you just say, oh, Jesus, here's my life. I surrender my life. I become born again. But you don't allow Christ to train you. Then you miss the purpose of Christianity. And this is train, train you to do what? To what? Renounce ungodly, uh, ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many of you guys have a little bit of ungodliness and holiness inside of you? When you give your life to Jesus, when you become a follower of Christ, when you put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, and you are truly saved, and you're like, this is amazing. How many of you guys have had that moment? This is incredible. This is powerful. I remember when I got saved, I was so blown away at the grace of God. I was so blown away that God had the power and the authority to wipe my sins away. I did not think before that moment that God had that capacity because I thought that I had to do it myself. And the moment I surrendered my life to Christ, I gave my life to him. I felt the hand of God sweep through my soul and take all the bad stuff out of it. My heart was completely new. My desire started to change. Things started shifting inside of me and I felt connected to God. But you know what had to happen after that moment, after salvation? I had to be trained. Because even though I was saved and even though that was special and amazing, 
I still did not know how to follow Jesus. So what I thought is I just need to be less like mean to people. I thought I just, I can still go to clubs. I just have to drink a little bit less. I can still date a girl that doesn't love Jesus. I just can't have intimacy with her. Like, so I, st- I, I had this perception now that I'm saved of how to live, but I wasn't in a life group. I didn't have a pastor's number in my phone. I didn't know where to go to be trained. And so what happened, I had this teammate of mine who also was a Christian. You know when you get saved, you think everybody has good intentions. Oh my gosh, yeah, I met another Christian. Oh, and I met another one. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. I feel like everyone's getting saved. And then all of a sudden, as you start walking with these people, you're like, well, maybe we don't all look like Jesus. Or maybe there's more to this. And so what happened, this buddy tells me the story about his, his uncle that prayed for this BMW. A gold BMW with all the nicest leather and specs you can have in a BMW. And I love myself some German cars. And I'm listening to this story. And I'm like, oh, so I know God, me and God, no, we have a connection. I've been saved. I really, God changed my life. I felt that I was born again. So he tells me the story. And he says, and one day after about a year of praying for this car, his uncle was walking in Cape Town, South Africa, down the street in the city. And a stranger walks up to him and says, hey, I need to buy you a car. Show me what you want. So he walks him to this car dealership, this BMW dealership. The guy pays for the car cash, gives him the title, and walks away. He never sees this guy again. I'm sitting. I remember the car. I remember where I sat when I heard the story. I said, this is amazing. Surely God saved me to give me cars. So I started praying every day for a car. I said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I want that Toyota Fortuner. I want beige leather. I want all the specs. I want heated seats, cool seats. I want all all this stuff. Lord, I also want it to be a little bit inexpensive. And Lord, by the way, can I get a gas cart with that? Because that thing needs a lot of gas, Lord. I prayed every day for about six months for that car. Every time I drive past that dealership, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I claim that car. That's my car in Jesus' name. Six months later, I prayed morning, noon, and night. I pray, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I prayed. Like, you know, people say, I'll pray for you. They don't pray. No, I prayed. I prayed. I prayed, Lord, I thank you, Lord. That car, that, that's the one, Lord. Lord, that's the one, Lord. I just reminded God every day, Lord, that's the one, Lord. That's the one, Lord. One day, I drive home from rugby practice. Six months later, I said, man, I've been praying so many. I think I prayed more than the other guy prayed. He prayed a year. I prayed in six months more than he prayed in a year. I think God now knows that this is now time. So I go to the dealership to get my car. I walk in and the salesman comes to me and says, hey, can we help you? I said, yeah, I'm here to get my car. He said, well, who did you work with? Did you pay for it already? I said, no, 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 I'm here to get a car. God's going to give me a car today. <laughs> you, you know that look, that look for help? Like, hey, it's like security, come get, remove this person right now. I mean, I just stand there thinking that surely God, the grace of God appeared to bring salvation to Ernie so Ernie can get this car. And I'm standing here in this moment, and there was a little recalibration in my theology that day. And as I'm standing there, I realize thunder is coming right now. (laughs) Glory of God. I realized that day that God actually did not want to give me a car, but God did want to start training me to live a new life and to start living the way he wants me to live. Because see, a lot of these prayers that I prayed was actually because of worldly passions. I wanted to feel important driving that car. 
I wanted to pull up at a friend's house and I wanted them to say, wow, look at this car. Uh, this had nothing to do with God or his glory or his purpose. It had everything to do with me. I'm saved, but I'm still so selfish. And so I drive off embarrassed, did not get the car. And I said, Lord, I feel so sad. Why did you not give me that car? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you've been praying for six months. All your prayers has been focused on this car. He said, you've not even been thinking about what I want for your life. Now I want to start training you. I got in a life group. I started meeting with a pastor at our church. You know what happened? My desire started changing. I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit that saved me now start changing my passions. That car that I really wanted became unimportant to me. What I really cared about is living the right way. I started caring about how I spent my money. I started tithing. I started getting my life in order. I started renouncing things in my life that was just not from God. But it actually took a pastor looking at me and saying, Ernie, that what you're doing, that's actually not right. Hey, the way you speak to these people, that's not right. Hey, Ernie, the way you manage your time, that's not right. Hey, so all these people started doing what? Training me. The grace of God doesn't just save. The grace of God also trains us. So if a church is not allowing God to train them, it's an immature church. If a Christian does not allow God to train them, it's an immature Christian. I had to be trained in how to forgive people that, that's mean to me. I had to be trained how to love people that doesn't love me. I had to be trained in how to share the love of Christ with those that don't know him yet. God wasn't concerned about my ego. He was concerned about his purpose for my life. Because see, the same God that saved me was wanting to send me for his glory. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live um, upright, godly lives in this present age. Here's what God really wants to do in your life. He wants to take things out of you. He saves you out of something, from something, into something completely new. He says, come out of that life of taking the life I've given you and doing with it whatever you want to submit to me. And then I'm going to start building you into the person that I'm calling you to be. And what happens, that becomes a church. It's a place and a people that God dwell within that look like him. It's a place where the lost are found, where the sick are healed, where the broken are completely restored. That's what happens when we allow God's grace not just to save us, but then to train us. And then what happens in verse 13, look at this. It says, a people that's waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The word waiting is not waiting like, oh, I'm sitting like this and I'm waiting. It's almost like if Pastor Ben and Brandy was going to come to my house for dinner. And he says, hey, Ernie, I'm going to be in Odessa on Friday next week. Uh, can we come over for dinner? Yes, Ben, who's going to come with you? I'm going to have Brandy and both the kids. Okay, awesome. So what do I do? I tell my wife, I say, hey, Ben and Brandy is coming for dinner. So in this point, we are now waiting with 
expectation for someone to come over. Y'all tracking? So then what happens by Wednesday that week, where do I go? I go to the store. I make sure that there's charcoal. I make sure that there's meat in the fridge. I make sure that we get the best steaks and the best seasoning to go on the steaks to glorify God, right? A little lamb on the side and a little chicken as a vegetable. And we start waiting in preparation for our guests to arrive. And then when the day of happens, now we've got all the stuff that we need. We've gathered that. It's taken time and energy and effort. This is the type of waiting I'm talking about. Now what happens, they actually are going to come this day. So that morning, I tell my kids, hey, listen, go pick the weeds out of the little things. Make sure that the grass is cut. Make sure we blow it. Make sure that the, the, the grill area is nice and clean. Make sure the chairs are wiped down. Make sure the kitchen all clean. Anyone tracking with me? The house is cleaned extra. Why? Because we are expecting guests to be with us. And so that's what Jesus is saying to the church. Hey, listen, when my grace appeared, it's going to save you. It's going to save all people. No one is exempt. No one can save themselves. I want to save all people. And then it's going to train us. The grace of God is going to train us. And then what's going to happen as we've been saved and as we are being trained in Bible study and life group through the sermons on Sunday mornings and worship all of a sudden we find ourselves a people getting this city of San Antonio ready for God to return. We are now going to the high schools and the colleges and our neighbors to preach the gospel saying, hey, listen, there is a king. He is the king of all the universe and he's coming back again and he's coming back for you. Are you ready? And so now all of a sudden we're cleaning up our city. The lost is being saved. The sick is being healed. The oppressed is being delivered by the grace of God through his people who's waiting in anticipation, who's available to the Lord. Come on. Chris, the church is not an, a passive people. It is a people that has been empowered by the grace of God. Oh my gosh, the grace of God is so beautiful. When God saves us, He trains us. And as God starts training us, we start saying no to things of this world. We start saying no to worldly passions, ungodly desires. And we become this people that's eagerly preparing and getting ready for the return of the king. How does, how does that look in our lives? It starts in us first. God changes us. And then he starts changing those around us. It says he's redeemed for himself a people and to purify them for his own position, a people who are zealous for good work. So here's what we do wrong. We think, oh, to serve God means I have to be excited about doing stuff for him. Actually, to walk with God starts with surrendering to him, to be all in. Then we become trained. We get connected to the life of the church. We, being, we are being discipled. We are being trained intently, intensively, deliberately. And as this is happening, we find ourselves a people that's becoming prepared for the return of the king. Where are you at today? Let's stand together as we close this moment. God saves us from sin. And in that saving, it's not just removing us from the guilt of sin. It's actually cleaning us from sin. 
It's cleaning us from the impact of sin. It's, there's this big word we use called sanctification. He's purging and purifying us. That, that's the training part. It happens in community, in relationship. Are you connected to that type of a community? And then as this is happening, you find yourself telling an employee or a colleague or a child or a spouse, man, something in me is changing. God's grace is changing me. Your friends, your spouse, your kids, your college, they notice. Hey, there's something different about you. Something about you is shifting. Something about you is changing. You, you're, not, you're not given over to greed anymore. You've been saved from lawlessness, from sin. You've been saved for God, for the king. And now the kingdom of God is the thing that's preeminent in your life. Now you, all you do is get things ready for God to return. You start companies for the glory of God. You build friendships for the glory of God. You go on trips for the glory of God. Everything becomes about this king that you are eagerly waiting for. And you are now this person that's zealous for good works. And you know what happens? Paul said to Titus, when the world sees that, when Crete, when your city sees that, they say, I want that. I need that. They become jealous because they see the people of God living in the grace of God. It's powerful. This morning, as we reflect on this, I want to leave you with these thoughts, and then I want you to respond. The Father sent the Son who gives the Spirit. The three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, work together to bring you to salvation. And through the Spirit... And through the word in a Christian community, the church, you become trained under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And you start looking more like Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself becoming a part of God's redemptive work in the earth. Now people get redeemed through your life and your efforts and, and your, your relationships and, and your work in this earth. You find yourself working with God, laboring with God. But it's not because you want to work for Him. It's because you're walking with Him. You've been saved out of sin into a relationship with God, with these people. And now you're bringing others into this fellowship, into this friendship. Have you really surrendered your life to Jesus? If you haven't given your life to Jesus, put your hand up and say, I have not surrendered to the grace of God. And today I want to do it. I want to do it today. Let me see your hand if that's you. I can't really see very good. I'm going to have to put two hands up if it's you. If you've not been trained, if you're not being trained, if you're not connected to a life group, the life of the church, you're not allowing God to form you and shape you and teach you how to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and how to live the right way, and you need to be trained, you need to be developed as a Christian, to mature as a Christian, put your hand up. Say, I want that. I want to be trained. I want to grow my faith. Put your hand up real quick. Let me see it. All right. I still can't see. I'm going to pray and then Pastor Ben can close us out. Father, I thank you for this incredible church. Lord, you build churches. You are the author of churches. You build them. Lord, they're your idea, not our idea. We are the church. And I pray, Father, that in this city, Luminous will look like you, that they will be formed and shaped by you and for you in the name of Jesus. Bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen.